On Monday, the FDA uh, issued a final rule to downclassify a lot of devices, seven of them immediately, and 83 of them is a proposed downclassification based off of public comment. Does that mean that that which was three is now class two? That which was two is now class one? Correct. And so it's mainly downclassifying from two to one or two to 510K exempt. Remind the kind people at home, mm -hmm. a two is something that is neither invasive nor if misused could kill you? It's moderate risk. So yeah. two, two is moderate risk. But and one is like practically none, like a bandage? Low, yeah, band-aids are class one devices unless they have antibacterials in them, in which case they're class two. Okay, so FDA decided that there are some 83 items that we previously thought were moderate risk that we now feel is almost no risk? Correct. What would be an example? The most shocking to me uh, in terms of PPE is surgical masks with antibacterial antiviral properties. So I used to think that if you got that wrong, there was risk and you would be infected, but I no longer think that's a real risk is what they're saying. They're saying that they don't, that they no longer feel like surgical masks with antiviral antibacterial properties pose as high of a risk as they previously understood them to pose. What is surprising about that is that for surgical masks, they did not exempt this just surgical masks with no antibacterial or antiviral properties from 510K. So they took a surgical mask that's more complicated. Yeah. And they're proposing to not require a 510K for it. Are there some that are less complicated that complicated that still do? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the bulk of surgical masks that have particle filtration, bacterial filtration, flammability, two other tests that yeah. is standard for surgical masks. Yeah. That category still requires a 510K. Because presumably these are ones used in the operating theater? So are surgical masks with antibacterial properties. That's why this makes no sense. Okay, so I think you're saying that masks that have nine properties require a more stringent clearance process than masks that have 10 properties. That is a very simplistic way I'm to only simplistic math. But that, that one difference is orders of magnitude different in testing that's required mm -hmm. and claims that you make. So every interaction I have had since COVID with FDA on antibacterial antiviral claims on PPE, they've pushed back and asked for $500,000 worth of testing. And now they're saying, ah, forget it. That they are proposing to forget it. It's all gonna be based off of public comment and FDA and HHS's response to the public comment. Okay, so again, as I tried to dumb it down for myself, if in my example, the mask with nine things still needs to be 510K, why didn't they make the mask with 10 things still need to be 510K, except you could ignore the $500,000 expense part. Because the $500,000 expense is the most critical. No, no, for... I get that. But why can't, if I, if my goal is to be like, look, the antibacterial part, maybe they're saying that's too burdensome, so I'm going to alleviate you of that. Why don't they think of it as a mask with nine parts plus one that we're just going to ignore, but do all the other stuff? because that's the highest risk part. 
and it's no better than testing for a surgical mask right. or all the stuff. Now, it'd be one thing if you took your surgical mask that was already 510K cleared and added some sort of cleared or acknowledged antibacterial to it, but it's not clear that that's what they're proposing. Mm-hmm. It's like they're taking the, they're down classifying the highest risk of the surgical masks, but not the basic surgical mask. You included Tiana Benson on today's call um, because she has something to add here. She does. So that was what caught my attention personally, because you know I've been living and breathing masks. Yeah. What caught her attention was what? Masked singer. (laughs) (laughs) Regulation. Yep. So Ty, a whole different group of devices taught caught Ty's interpretation of what was the most disturbing things on the list. So I thought I'd bring her on to discuss what she was concerned about in the down classification. Ty disturbed me. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things on here that are a little bit intimidating. Um, We see ventilators for continuous use and ventilator support for home case use. And what's really- These are equipment that help me breathe. These are pieces of equipment that help people who cannot even breathe for themselves breathe. Sure, that's from a three to a two, right? Not a two to a one. So it went from a 510K to Uh being 510K exempt. And the justification that the FDA is using is their MAUD database on this. And they're saying that we're not seeing any reportable events or adverse events. And therefore, we feel like these groups of devices can be now made 510K exempt. Interesting. So for those of you watching at home, MAUD, M-A-U-D-E, I forget exactly what the acronym is, but basically it's the library of bad things that happen, adverse reporting events. Right. And that, hey, nobody's reporting anything bad, so it must, must be okay, so we don't need to be so stringent. Right. That's and not but, exactly intuitive. Maybe the reason that nobody is reporting anything is because we've been so damn stringent. Exactly. Even Joe gets it. Even Joe, a don't like it. doesn't know shit about regulatory. Can figure it out, FDA. Are you listening? <laughs> It, 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 and that's exactly it. It's like we're not seeing reportable events because the FDA is doing their job in reviewing this technology and people who are bringing it to market to make sure they check those boxes. Without a 510k review, they don't. So busy with other things right now, we can't bother with that which we consider to be borderline or marginal. So let's just downclass stuff so that we can focus on COVID stuff. But that's all it. this COVID stuff. All of this is COVID stuff. I mean. You can't, you know, for a while there was a ventilator shortage. And so they had a whole enforcement policy for ventilators and making ventilators. But for every technology I brought in front of them that was an alternative to a ventilator that ideally kept you from needing to go on a ventilator, they're like, oh, we we did not intend the emergency policy to bring new technology to market. Let me let me ask you to go beyond the outrage and shock of why would they do this and attempt to answer the question, why would they do this? There's got to be something better from your collective minds than we just don't know. There's got to be something. Is there any thread of logic you can think of here? Here is what I'm seeing as a regulatory consultant. It almost is a disconnect within the agency itself. Because when you attend the FDA PPE webinars, especially for surgical masks, just in the last six months alone, the requirements have changed. They have been enforcing the AQL of 4% on all testing. They want to see testing well, on three non-consecutive acceptable, acceptable quality limit. Quality limit, sorry. And so it's it's right. taken the masks from testing 
what about a total of 60 some across the five tests yeah to um it's based off of your your lot size now and it's um they want three non-consecutive lots which effectively at least triples or more the testing that you have to do because you have to do that much you have to do an aql four percent based off of your lot size on three non-consecutive lots which means you have to run five lots yep and so what they've essentially done is change the testing suite from costing like $30,000 to like $170,000. And that's for surgical masks. So there's at least one component of the FDA that is moving towards more stricter controls because of, you know, their own internal processes. But this document, it's the opposite message. Mm -hmm. And so this document is saying that we think that you know, we're not seeing any adverse events. We think that people are designing things appropriately. So we're not going to do the 510k review. Well, 510k reviews are where you catch that someone's not doing the right sampling for their Can testing. You an idea? I don't understand the agency well enough. What, what could have been the catalyst or what kind of like, is this, excuse my pedestrian example, is this like a CEO level thing or is this some vice president of something coming up and saying, I have an idea and it got out the door? I mean, how? I'm former president of something for sure. You know, one of the first things that Trump did was task the FDA that for every regulation. No, but for every, he told the FDA for every regulation that they issued, he expect to get rid of two. Well, this This doesn't even count as getting rid of, it's a change. It, it's a major regulatory change to lessen the burden for industry. Mm-hmm. But where, where they have chose, chosen to do so, in our opinions, is some of the most high-risk devices. Do you anticipate that what we're talking about today will be reversed? And would it be an executive order that would direct FDA to, I mean, I'm way out of my element here. What is going to happen next is that this proposed rule will be published in the Federal Register. And then industry and the public have got, I can't remember if it's 60 or 90 days to submit their comments. Then HHS and FDA review the comments and they decide which ones they are going to permanently exempt based off of the public comment. Well, let me use um, my bully pulpit here to address the throngs of people that follow you, Michelle, and by extension, Ty. Uh, What should viewers of this video now do? They should review the list in table six and anything that they find concerning or shocking that that type of device could be exempt from a 510k and effectively uh, FDA oversight for its safety and efficacy need to submit a comment um, when, when this proposed rule is published in the federal register. And given that most of my audience are device manufacturers, do you think that someone's gonna raise their hand and say, wait a minute, I want more regulation for myself and this product that I am making. I feel like that they may, if they're already making these products, they're going to want to protect the pathway to market because they did already do the work. Oh, and, and competitors any, come in with far less burden and yeah. care away. Mm-hmm. And any of these open source or people that have never made medical devices before that don't understand all the testing or design requirements, because these products aren't going to be exempt from design controls. But a lot of people that I've been talking to getting into this space don't even know what design controls are. Yep. So every Tom, Dick and Harry is trying to find a solution to COVID and COVID symptoms. But then we're going to start killing people of 
things that could be worse than, than just writing COVID out with the technology that we have. People should call you about this if they what? If you want your if you want my help interpreting how you and your project are going to be impacted by this, call me. If you are concerned about the the impact on the general public and the population that are going to get treated with these devices, call me. Let's band together. Let's write letters. Let's help you with how your product is impacted. Maybe let's help you get your product to market before these changes are made. So you at least have that piece of paper that says, I had a 510K before I had to, and you can show it to your customers in the hospital that says, well, of all your options right now, the FDA did actually look at my product to prove its safety and efficacy. Is there any point in us writing a letter that people can download and send to their local someone or other? Does that make a difference? That is actually a great idea. And it's it's something that I have had in mind since I started my, my business to to have an advocacy for both industry to have a voice with FDA, but then now the voice is also to protect the general public. Some of this stuff just shouldn't be on here. Okay, so I figured out why surgical masks with antiviral properties are on the list and surgical masks, normal surgical masks without antiviral are not on the list. Oh, please tell me. So it's, it was just an uh, algorithm that scavenged the database based off of the three criteria that they had for selecting products that to, to down classify. And so it was all, they had to be on an EUA. Okay. They had to have a history. Uh, they had to review the mod history before mm -hmm. the EUA. And okay. then they reviewed the mod history after the EUA. And then there was a numerical cutoff of the number of mod events. And so it was just a mathematical algorithm that went in and spit out a list of devices to put on that list to deregulate. And so the antivirals are on there because there's none of them are cleared. <laughs> there's no devices, right? There are only three that have been cleared ever in the history yep. of the product code. And two of them aren't even available in the United States right now. And so there's obviously no mod events because they're not available. And so they get put in this low and risk. Oh no. Even if they were available, there are only three that have been cleared and they wouldn't hit that numerical cutoff anyways. Same thing uh, with pediatric masks. There yeah. are only a very few that have been cleared for pediatric indications. So, they get, so they're not gonna hit that, that, that number threshold of mod events. It's and not that they're not high-risk devices. Right. It, it was, no, so there was no person that looked at that list and mentally, logically said, oh, no, that that's, doesn't make sense from a risk perspective. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, uh, the ventilators for home use. It's like, I wonder when the, if the FDA actually reads that list later and they're gonna go, what? What the what the what we just downregulated something with major electrical safety and software yeah. concerns for home use. So we're going to let people who don't know how to work medical equipment. Yeah, use it at home. Yeah. Yeah. On, on their family member that is in a coma. Yeah. Okay. No, it's, it's devastating. And that makes so much more sense, though, because when you look at that list, I you know, my 
jaw hit the, the floor. I was like, how can they justify this? Especially when they have lower risk devices that didn't get down classified. And now it makes perfect sense, but it's because the, the testing stringency may make that those devices unprofitable. And so none get cleared. And so now they think there's no risk, but it just goes back to that idea that the FDA is doing their job. And so there's no uh, reportable events. And now they're not gonna review these technologies and mod events are gonna crop up everywhere because people cheap out on testing or don't understand the requirements or, and they don't, they may sell for five years before they get an FDA inspection. Mystery solved. That is like, that's nuts though. That, that makes so much sense though. Like from a, from a peer, from a peer data standpoint, like a, not a human standpoint, but from a peer data numbers, calculations, reduced burden standpoint, it totally makes sense that you're right. They just swept the mod databases. They swept before and after and like number of things met these criteria. And then we're like, ah, it's fine. And it's because nobody goes into those because it's so expensive and too hard to get the claims. And so instead of reevaluating what they need for the claim, they just got rid of the evaluation altogether. Poof, no problem. Black tank exempt. Go forth. Go forth, manufacturers. And nobody with a brain actually looked at the list and thought about why are these things on the list and why did they meet the criteria? Right. And that's why you have very brained people did that and found um, that the criteria was set in such thing like here, for example, antiviral antibacterial masks are on the list. And the criteria, one of the criteria was that the products could not have more than say X number of mod events. So how many, do you know how many, after all my ranting and raving about antiviral antibacterial masks, do you know how many have been cleared in the history of the FDA? Last I checked 13. Three. But I checked wrong. You probably looked up the wrong product code. So the product code is OUK three. Mm -hmm. And two of those aren't even available in the US anymore. For whatever anymore. reason, they either decided not to make them or all the manufacturing's in China and they're not shipping them to the United States. The reason why surgical masks, so we don't hit that mall threshold is that there are only three that have ever been cleared. Mm -hmm. Two of them are not being sold in the United States. Mm -hmm. So. If there's only three products ever, of course they're not gonna hit a mod criteria unless they did something really bad. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that the product is low risk and no longer needs FDA oversight. The ridiculous backwards way to figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just figured out how to ride a tricycle on a tightrope and I'm gonna be the first one to do it. And by definition, since that's not a risky behavior, there's no recording of anyone falling to their death from a tricycle on a tightrope, we should be good. Basically. And all good job at FDA, you're saying. <laughs> so all you people out there watching this, there's hope for you. And you know, Ty pointed out that when she was on your last MDG video, you know, she mentioned this and that Rob Packard chimed in and said, this is also, uh, what you get when somebody who's new to the FDA is barely running the show. Yeah. And that was, I think his comment was in, con in the context of because they're hiring so much. So they can't retain people. Yeah, it's a combination of can't retain and have to hire. Can't and because it's a misery to work there. Yep. So right. this, this is the back of the ranch moment.
So Larry Stevens, also from our MDG group, yes. reached out to me after he heard Ty mention this on um, on the on the the webinar you guys did, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Can you send me the link to that document?" So I sent him the link to the draft, which is all I had seen come through my feeds, mm -hmm. um, and so I had assumed because like a couple of days after we made that video, Biden canceled everything that was in draft and said, we're gonna put everything in draft that hasn't been published in the official record on hold. So wow. I'm thinking, okay, all of those are, are moot now. Larry scavenged around and found that this, this particular one actually managed to get published before Biden got sworn oh, in and so issued that. So it's live, which means that Biden put a pause on everything that did get published for 60 days for them to review it, but it's still out there for public comment because it is a legitimately published rule in the Federal Register for, for public commentary. So do you believe the punchline is 53 days from now, there will be such a torrent of, what are you guys, nutses that it will go away? I think that there is so much stuff that they have to go through that doesn't make sense that this could still fall through the cracks and some of this could unfortunately become legitimate if enough people don't comment on it. So is this the part where we shake the viewer from the shoulders and say, for the love of God, man, will exactly. you please write your elected official and FDA and say, what are you, nuts? That's, so that's why that Mel and Ty are today introducing a template that people can download and send. Yep. So we are working on that later today. You have to, um, so the comment process is online and you have to leave your comments kind of one by one um, on the line items. So there's no reasonable way we can automate it for people. So it's like a click and a send. We'll need to do it once ourselves and figure out if there is a way to do that, but I don't think that there is because you have to log into the federal register you could do it all anonymously um yeah, still i who don't have a record with the federal register would have to create an account first i don't believe so okay so as a so how, how many how many would be the critical number of correspondences that would make people even notice this isn't a vote so it's no critical number it's that that the fda and hhs have to consider every single comment and respond to every single comment or groups of comments when they publish the final rule. So they have to think through every comment that somebody left. So that's why it's important if a lot of people get together and leave consistent comments, mm -hmm. they have to address them. And then the more comments there are that are similar or related, the more consideration that it goes up to like, hey boss, this is the 15th one that uses the identical language. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of any campaign that's ever been run against guidance to get guidance reversed? Uh, the medical device tax for one. Yeah, but there's plenty of guidance. And sometimes this is why guidance documents flounder for years and either just never make it to final or make it to final in a configuration that's entirely different from the draft that was published. Say that again. Draft guidances don't ever get published as final guidance documents. Because there's so many comments? Mm -hmm. And so the and FDA- never got through it all? Or just chose not to because there was too much dissension about it. Okay. Or This would the, not be the case here because it's already um, this, published. This, this is a proposed rule for comment. If you don't comment, it goes to final as is.
If you comment, there is a chance that the FDA can change it and it goes to final with the consideration given to all the comments. So they changed the final rule if the comments swayed their thinking. What we've said here has no bearing because they want technical comments. This yeah. doesn't, the only thing we discussed was the antiviral mask. They wanna know of those 83, exactly which ones you have a problem with. My family is all in healthcare. My brother is a director of nursing. And I actually was talking to him this weekend and people should care about this because you know what he told me that is terrifying. He says that with the new equipment that our hospital is getting, they have seen ventilators, which are on this stop working during transport, but they don't have to report anything necessarily other than the failure because they don't lose the patient because during transport, they always have a bag on them. Anyway, they have all of their safety controls to not lose a patient during that part, but a ventilator should never have to fail during transport. I understand you, um, an event is not a mod event unless someone dies? It's up to the facility, each facility yeah. to decide when they report mod events. They, from facility to facility, they may report that. They may not bother because this is the reason why they have two and three layers of mm -hmm. fail safes so that the patient doesn't die. It's, but it's all up to the healthcare facility to determine what they report and when which is another reason this is all over the place. During the EUA, they, again, they might not be bothering where they might have done so. And These extra steps on an overtaxed healthcare system with no employees and people extremely sick with full ICUs, if a patient doesn't die, they may not consider it a mod event. They have fail-safes. They know what to do if equipment doesn't work and they refer, like they revert to older styles. But that doesn't mean that us as consumers should accept that on their behalf. You know, we're in this industry to make safe devices, make the quality of life for people better and give people equipment that they can trust. And what's actually happening is nurses and physicians are not trusting their equipment and they're just going back to old standbys that they know work. It's a really tough time in hospitals right now. And they might not be seeing events like this, especially for ventilators, because, you know, patients on a ventilator doesn't the cause of death doesn't necessarily have to be related to a ventilator failure. It's hard to catch certain things. And then to have the extra burden of reporting every hiccup when you know a device shouldn't be working there, it might not be getting caught. Good Lord, they got enough paperwork to fill out the end of the shift already anyways. Yeah, they have a chart for every single one of those patients that they have to do. So if I were to sum up the point of this episode of Back at the Ranch, it's, hey, everybody who watched this, I'm going to give you a link and you need to be a responsible medical device citizen and let FDA know this is fucking nuts. And it should matter. It impacts your friends. It impacts your family. It impacts your the mom. general public. It should matter.